Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Least Podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, I'm going to start off with trivia this week. What kind of podcast do you want to become? Seattle Kraken, we can do F1, we can do PGA. What do you want to do? Honestly, after last night, um, we're now recording Tuesday night, so a night after Game 7. I literally, as I was going to bed, thought to myself that I'm just going to start covering Leafs prospects and the Marlies, and I'm not going to watch the Leafs anymore. Marlies? So. That's what we should do, especially after this year, the the Marlies. I, I can see them on the, the up and up, but, uh, you know, the Marlies, at least if they lose, it's not this dramatic and it's not this ridiculous. But let's uh, let's just get into the Leafs here because uh, we'll have some Marlies talk in the future, but right now we have to get some Leaf stuff out of the way, I think. Yeah, I guess we won't start with Kenny Agostino's pending free agency, but... I was so close to tweeting when it rains it pours last night, but I just, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just was so down on the Leafs that I couldn't even get myself up to that joke. Uh, uh, okay, we let's we gotta focus here. So hey, we've had about twenty, <laughs> almost twenty four hours to to kind of get our thoughts together. I think we'll try to kind of break down who's to blame. Maybe next steps are. I mean, we're not going to do a full offseason preview here, but. Um, definitely there's, there's um, plenty of talk about in terms of, I guess, next steps for the Leafs before we get, I guess, rational, Nick, I want to just hear your, your thoughts more from an, I guess, a fan perspective or from the emotional perspective. I've been a Leafs fan my whole life since I was a kid. I remember the days of Sundin. I remember the days of McGillney. That's when I, pretty much the team that made me fall in love with this, with this team and, I was there for 2013. I was at the the square for Game 7. I went to Game 6 in person. I never, like, the feeling I had after 2013 was just disbelief. Um, And then, obviously, 2017 against Washington was a feeling of, was almost hope. 2018, it was just, they lost a 4-3 lead. They were going into the third period with that 4-3 lead, lost 7-4 disbelief there but there was still hope 2019 against the Bruins it was almost anger because of Babcock and everything going on but there was still some some hope that they might fire him which they did in the end I wasn't even this upset or this sad after the Columbus series because it was it was just a weird series like they shot two percent they had a huge break before that playoff series they got that they had that one um preseason game and then right into game one of the playoffs so even that one was like okay it's just kind of random this one it just feels like the zero excuse i carry price was great i don't think it's the same thing as what happened in columbus um i think here it was just your two best players that are supposed to show up at this time were not your best players and they weren't even close to it so the offseason here is going to be so much more difficult and it's it's just confusion like that's what I was feeling last night that's what I was feeling after game six confusion and and just just overall down about the team to be honest how are you feeling 
Yeah, obviously it's a, a pretty big piss off losing to the the Habs, uh, especially when you're up three one in the series. You definitely felt like they were going to overcome the Tavares injury and get the series win. Um, it's definitely frustration for sure. I mean, after last year losing to Columbus and this year losing to Montreal, I think those are two series that they definitely should have won. Um, obviously, no playoff series win since two thousand four. I, I think obviously that adds to the frustration. I don't think you can really blame, you know, this core for, you know, the 2005 lockout or, or really after the 2005 lockout, there are about 10 years of, you know, just incompetence and bad management um, and, and just bad deals that, that led to uh, poor, poor results. But really it's been five playoffs now with this core, the, you know, the Matthews, Marner, Nylander trio, and they're over five in terms of playoffs. So, I guess the first question here, we'll start with the, I guess the core. Do you think that there's a core problem that needs to be addressed here? I think it's a tough question because obviously Tavares got injured, and any time you're losing a player of his caliber, whether you're, you know, whether you're Colorado, whether you're the Leafs, any team in the league, you're going to be affected by that. And I do think this season in particular, we've talked about this, Kevin, especially after the trade deadline, where the Leafs pretty much were banking on their four core players, Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and Marner, to produce offense for them. And they had the rest of their lineup, pretty much, who were defensively responsible, defensive players that could defend the leads that those four gave them. And as soon as you lose Tavares and Matthews and Marner are not playing at their best and not producing for you, it makes it so difficult to win games. And in games five, six, and seven, they didn't get the lead. And they could never they just had trouble scoring. And this is something we had we were talking about after the trade deadline was, you know, depth scoring and how is this team gonna score? But I don't know. It's I, I don't think the, the narrative after this playoff series should be depth scoring. I do think it should be about this core and whether they can turn it turn regular season success into playoff success because I think this fan base, including me, is learning that, you know, that jump from regular season hockey to playoff hockey, it's it's not cliche, like it's it's real. And I think at this point it's it's just difficult to know whether you know, Marner's cold streak, whether Matthew's cold streak in the playoffs is something that, you know, is just going to kind of go away or is this something that's real that we really need to look into? So I definitely think they'll look into potentially a trade. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be Matthews. Tavares has the no move clause, so it won't be him. It'll have to be either Marner and Nylander. Nylander's coming off a really good postseason and moving Marner's a big deal. So I don't know. I think we'll get into it later, but, you know, I, I think so tough to say whether it's a core problem. Yeah, I think so. In terms of the core, I, I you can't trade Matthews; it's just not happening. You no. can't trade Tavares; he's got a full no move. I I really don't think you can trade Nylander. It doesn't make any sense after the playoffs he had, and given his contract, the player you would move is Marner. That's because he makes almost eleven million, and you know two back-to-back playoff series here Columbus and Montreal he hasn't scored I know he's a playmaker when you make that much money you got to be a star player so in, in terms of the core I don't think they're they're to blame for the, the the five series losses like I think 
if, if you're going to say that, you know, the reason they, they're over five is because they don't want it enough or, you know, they don't have enough grit or, you know, it's Marner specifically the reason they've lost five straight. It's just not true. Uh, I think all five have kind of had different stories. So the Washington one, they just, Washington was the better team. The Leafs were, had a bunch of rookies in their lineup. They had Matt Honwick on their first pairing on his off, offside. They had no defense to speak of. We can understand why they lost that series. I think the first Boston series, again, you're, you're running into a very good team. The Leafs are the underdogs. Kadri gets suspended, which doesn't help. And, you know, the defense at the time was, was terrible. The next Boston series, I think they probably should have won if Kadri doesn't get suspended. Um, still bad defense. Still a very good team. I think it's very easy to understand why they lost that series. And you get some pretty the bad Colum- goaltending in that one at the end, the tail end as well. Right. It, yeah. So I think that one was the first one. You, you almost felt they, they could have won or sh- maybe should have won. They got away for, I guess, goaltending and Kadri reasons. Um, I, the last year was really a failure to score. I think part of that was, you know, just great defense from Columbus, great goaltending, at, you know, we run into a hot goalie. I also think the Leafs defense was, had some holes. I mean, Muzzin got hurt. Barry was back there. I don't know if the Leafs had perfect scoring depth. Um, and this year I think it was a mix. So I was looking at it. So I guess we can, let's get we into can it. Rule yeah. out. So I, I, I'm writing an article right now, and I'm kind of breaking it, I'm breaking it down by position and then management and coaching. So let's get the defense and goaltending out of the way early here. I just don't think there's anything you can blame. Campbell had a had a rough goal against in Game Seven, but he had a 9.34 save percentage. He certainly gave him a good chance to win this series. It shouldn't have even got to Game Seven in the first place, based on how he played. And then the defense, like I thought, Muzzin and Brody were great. Uh, I think I still think I know Justin Hall is getting a, a tough time right now. I still think that contract's a bargain. You know, Riley actually had a very good series. I don't think defense was the problem. Bogosian was steady. I know Sandine Dermott had some costly mistakes, but all in all, I was I was happy with this defense. I think it's the best defense they've had in years. I was happy with the goaltending. Can we pretty much rule out defense and goaltending for the series as being the problem? Yeah, Campbell was fantastic. I think they're going to roll with him next year. Try and get another goalie. Um, to kind of play 1A, 1B. And the defense, I agree. I think even in Game 7 without Muzzin, I didn't think they were bad. I thought Dermott was fine in the role he was in. I thought Sandine filled in fine. Bogosian, I thought, was pretty solid the whole series. Um, And Justin Hall was exactly what you need from him. He's a number four defenseman. He's paid like that, and I think he plays exactly what of number four defenseman should be, if not better. So I completely agree. I think we need to just move on to the forwards here because I do think I I do think with the forwards, there's two things going on here. I think, like I said before, this team was built on those top four players producing offense and the rest of them being able to defend leads. It is a strategy that a lot of teams have done in the past, namely the Boston Bruins have done. They've been a one-line team for years. This year, they're not so much with Taylor Hall and and uh, Craig Smith there. But they have done in the past, and they've found playoff success doing it. The Islanders are another team that does it very well. Um, there's probably some other teams I can't think of on the top of my head here. But people have found playoff success doing that. But when Tavares goes down and when Matthews and Marner don't produce, it's difficult. I think that's one problem here. And so let's talk about that, actually, just in general, because we obviously saw that when those top players don't play well and you get an injury, like 
the offense is completely dry. And I think if... I don't think people can criticize Dubis and say, oh, well, pretty much... It's tough to almost say this here, but, you know, I don't think they can say that, oh, well, it was... If you can, if you criticize the strategy in general, and say, oh well, he should have seen like injuries coming, and you can't just rely on four players. I think that's one thing, but I do think when you look at Dubis's trade deadline, you have to say, like, what did you think of Dubis going into the playoffs? If you thought that they should have gone Hall, which you and I did, that was our number one target. I still think the Leafs probably should have gone Hall over Felino, but. I just see a lot of people looking at Felino, for example, and saying, oh, he played so badly, he didn't score a goal. Well, I mean, he was injured. It was like They said he was 50% the whole time. It, it really didn't look like he was himself. So if you think that Hall was better than Felino at the time of the trade deadline, I think that's one thing. But I think it's tough to say like Felino wasn't the guy that they should have got. Because I think if Tavares stays and Felino's 100%, then yeah, maybe the, this all works out. Okay, so a lot, a lot there. Yeah. Um, so in my article here, I'm literally reading from it, but I, I broke it down into three things. So I think number one is the core forwards failing to produce. And if I'm going to rank them one, two, three, this is the biggest problem. You got one goal combined from Matthews, Marner, and Tavares. Obviously, Tavares is for different reasons in, in three games. Or sorry, in seven games. One goal in seven games from the three guys that make over $10 million. Um, obviously Tavares is, is a fluke situation, a completely different story, but Matthews and Marner, one goal in seven games, as you said, especially when Tavares was out, they needed them to be their best players and they just didn't produce. Um, in Matthews case, you really have no choice. There's no way you're trading him. You're rolling him back. I, you expect more. We've seen him have a better playoff series in the past. Uh, I, I think there's multiple reasons maybe why, you know, A, just shooting percentage, B, you know, maybe the, the power play wasn't great. Maybe, you know, you can elevate him a bit. Um, Marner, I think it's, I still think he's a good player. I do think that he's not much of a goal scorer, um, which is a bit of a problem um, just because he's not a shooting threat. It's really the contract with him, like the fact that he makes eleven million. If he makes, you know, seven million or eight million, I'm probably kind of in, you know, defending him right now and not wanting to trade him. Um, but at eleven million, gee, especially the way his contract structured, where he's only owed about six point two million in actual salary once the lease pays bonus, I do think that they have to at least consider trading Marner for that reason. Um, so yeah, number one. If you're going to blame it on one thing in particular, I think it has to be the core forwards failing to produce. But I have two other things here. And, and number two, Nick, was the depth forwards failing to produce. And that would be, you know, I think we can certainly exclude Dielander and Spezza, who are excellent. Kerfoot, Galchenyuk. I know Galchenyuk had that giveaway. But he did create a lot of offense. For me, it's it's Wayne Simmons, who didn't have a primary assist all year. It's Joe Thornton, who looked like a 41-year-old. It's Makayev, who is pointless in, his, in 12 playoff games now. Felino, who you know was hurt, but also looked a little bit mediocre offensively when healthy. Uh, to me, they were a one-line team with with pretty bad depth, even in Game One. Like, uh, I know we went over this before, but you know that that. 
Riley Nash, Kerfoot, Makayev line, you weren't expecting much offense from in game one. And then the, the fourth line, Spets at center when he hasn't played much center all year. Thornton and Simmons just was a makeshift fourth line. So I do I do think that the depth forwards failing to produce is a problem. Obviously, the core forwards failing to produce is the bigger problem, one goal between them. But they did have a chance to win this series, even without Matthews and Marner producing. Like, they did make it to Game 5 overtime, Game 6 overtime. If they get a little bit more secondary scoring, they probably win this series, despite Matthews and Marner production. So I did I did highlight that as a as one of the reasons that they lost this series. Now, I do think, obviously, the core forwards are, are going to get the most attention, and that is the biggest one. But I wouldn't put it all on Mitch Barner. Like, I, I do think he deserves a lot of the criticism here uh, from his play, but I do think I do think that this team didn't have the same forward depth as they had in years past. Yeah, I think if you're ranking in terms of problems with the forwards, then... Depth scoring is definitely after the core because, I mean, if I'm looking at it here, Kerfoot six points in seven games, Spezza five points in seven games, Galchenyuk four points in six games. That alone should get you, like if, if someone told you at the beginning of the series, Spezza's going to get five points, Nylander's going to be over point per game. But Nylander... And Kerfoot's Nylander's gonna, not depth. Let's say let's even put let's put a Nylander aside then. That's fine. If if Kerfoot gets six points in seven games, like if someone told me that, I say this series is done in five, which it almost was. Like at the end of the day, I I do agree. I do think the overall because this is a complaint we had at the beginning of the playoffs yep. that we didn't think Thornton should have been in the in the lineup. We didn't think Simmons should be in the lineup. And I, I, I still hold true to that. I still believe that. But when I look at that, Thornton has one goal. Simmons has one assist. As fourth liners, like, I I don't think that's outstanding, definitely. I think that's somewhat acceptable, though. And, like, at the end of the day, like, you're... I just don't think Matthews and Marner were good enough in those four last four games. And, and if you're getting Kerfoot to get six points in seven games... Galchenyuk with that type of production like you have to win that series um I know that you're not disagreeing with this but I think this was more to do with I think the injuries just kind of caused Thornton and Simmons to be in the lineup and stuff like that maybe if it's a full lineup then maybe they're out of the lineup I don't, I don't know. think so probably not yeah probably not based on it but I don't know I just I just can't really I can't really blame like Thornton and Simmons like why not based on their ice time and no they this lineup you know, this Matthew... lineup had holes obviously the core forwards is the bigger issue but they could have won if they had less holes like if you have instead of Wayne Simmons a, a f- another effective player like a Kerfoot that shines you're gonna win the series um He's I, almost point per game Kerfoot dude, Kerfoot was great yeah playing with Nylander on the second line so. Like, for me, they had one line scoring. Spezza, I guess, too. And like Spezza, was, yeah. You had... You did have holes, though, on this team. Like... Oh, you definitely Felino had was holes. A, you definitely had which holes. Which was a concern. It's a, which was it's a concern a reason, before. Yeah. It's a reason they lost. It's not the main reason, but it is a reason. I don't think they look like... Like, when I watch Colorado, they don't really have Thornton Simmons. Um... And I like Felino was not himself. 
So I, I thought they they certainly had holes. Mikhaev is really a zero offensively. Um, Riley Nash in his game was a zero offensively. For me, they had a few too many holes. Now it's not problem A, but I I think if they don't have as many holes, they they could have possibly won this series, um, given that two games went to overtime, um, even without Matthews Marner producing. So. I guess my point is, is that it's not just the core forwards. I think they definitely, they definitely deserve the bulk of the blame. But if we're gonna distribute blame, there's plenty to go around. I do want to give at least a little bit to the to the holes in the forward group. I'll I'll say a little bit. I think that's fair because I just pulled up Colorado's stats, and I'm just gonna go through the points here. McKinnon, twelve points in five games. Landis Cog, eleven points five games. Ranton in nine points five games. Makar is seven and five, and then I'm gonna go down to the bottom six here. So, so I think Jose is their third line center. He's got three points in five games. Nikushkin three points in five games. Berkovsky two and five. Kadri one and two. Newhook one and five, and Belmar one and five, and Comfort one and five. So it's not like their fourth line's like shooting the lights out, but pretty much the difference is McKinnon, Landis, Coggin, and Rantanen are above two points a game right now that's virtually the difference right now between the Leafs and the the Colorado's first round I think everyone knows the core forwards is the biggest problem though like no one's disagreeing there it's just I'm taking I'm taking Colorado's depth forwards over Toronto's depth forwards 100 times out of 100 especially with Kadri out they're still amazing um so yeah I think there is there is two like the core forwards is going to get the most attention and, and rightfully so depth I would say is two number three I, I do think Dubas deserves some of the blame here in terms of the Felino trade doesn't look great um you look at the the playoffs last year and the issue was scoring and rather than even though they lost Johnson Kapanen after that series and got even worse offensively they, they, they really had more of a need for offense at the deadline. And I think that was reflected when, you know, they said Galchenyuk changed their trade deadline plans, yet he's a healthy scratch in game one. I know we went over that already in a, in a previous episode, but it's definitely looking like Hall would have been the better option. I know we said that at the time. It looks like Kyle Palmieri would have been the better option. I know we said that at the time. Um, when a guy like Tavares gets hurt, you need that extra offense. I think a Hall or a Palmieri would have definitely been better than Felino. Uh, obviously, you can't blame the the injury on Dubis for, for Felino, but I I do think that that was you know a bit of a mistake. Now, to his defense, you know I'm fine with the depth the depth moves. I liked having Riddich just in case. I liked having Hutton just in case. Uh, Riley Nash just in case. Sure, I'm not even complaining about those. And I do think, like, I just don't think, I think it's a mistake. Like, I, I wish they went and got and they got Hall instead. But at the same time, you expected this team, even with Felino to win. So I think you have to put some blame on that. But it is, I guess, if we are dividing the blame, I think it's a very small slice. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think... I think everyone kind of knows our stance on the Taylor Hall thing. Um, when it comes to Dubas, I just think he has some pretty rotten luck right now. Um, you know, just with, with the, the signing of the contracts, I think if the biggest thing with Dubas right now that I would be 
criticizing is just the Marner contract in general. Um, especially in hindsight, when you when you just look at his, his playoff record since the contract has been signed, it just hasn't been great. Um, you know, to give up that much money and to kind of get walked on in that in that negotiation um, doesn't look good. I know that the, the Nylander contract is kind of the one that gets all the attention in term, because it kind of leaked into the season. But, I mean, in hindsight, it kind of looks like Nylander's camp was the one that was right and, and they were the ones that were saying, well, the 6.9 mil, that, that's a bargain and it, it kind of has turned out to be. Whereas that Marner one, I, I don't think that's been a bargain at all. Um, so that's where I kind of have a problem with it now and, and now you have the contract that's front-loaded and you might potentially look into trading it. I think it's a bit of a mess. Um, other than that, though, the, the other piece of criticism I have for Dubis would be it felt like, so pretty much a few years ago before he had this talk and he talked about how you never want to change to try and fit into hockey. You try to make hockey fit into you. And that was a quote that he had at um, the analytics conference, the MIT, I think it was MIT um, analytics conference. And I think he's held true to that until this year where it felt like they, 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 felt like they learned something that they needed more grit and a bit more leadership in this lineup. And pretty much this offseason, he got Zach Bogosian, who I think is a great signing. But I think he went a bit overboard with getting Simmons and getting Thornton, Thornton, which in vacuums, I don't mind them. I just felt like he went a little overboard with it. He went to the deadline. He got Nick Foligno for his leadership, for his toughness, and for his defense. And... I think going forward, I don't want him to kind of overdo it and pretty much to, just to hold true to, to what got him to the dance in the first place. Um, you know, you don't need to go and get every player as Dennis Malgin, but just get players that can play. Yeah, I was going to mention that next. So I think they went overboard on the grit leadership and experience thing. Um, you know, on the surface, Thornton and Simmons were fine signings, both low risk. Um the problem is, is that with their names, they weren't going to scratch them. Like if it was a Jimmy Vesey situation where, okay, you give him an extended look, he doesn't look good, you get rid of him, fine. But with Thornton and Simmons, and this is going to, we'll get into Keith in a minute here, but the criticism can go to him as well. It's kind of tough to know where to, to place the blame here. But when one guy's not, when they're not working out and they go in the lineup night in, night out, it's frustrating. So I think that was that was definitely an issue. The Bogosian one did work out. They went for Felino, as you said, largely for that leadership grid experience thing. And as we mentioned, we think that was a mistake. I do think that from a PR perspective, Dubas did very well with those deals. I think the media really ate it up. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly don't think he's in a danger of losing his job because you know, you look at how the media and just, I guess, other GMs in general would think and, and, you know, that that's the kind of moves that I guess people were always thinking the Leafs needed leadership, needed grit. But you look at game six specifically, I know I wrote a strongly worded article about this, but like, <laughs> A, you blow a 3-1 series lead despite all this leadership. And, and B, like game six, they don't start on time for the first 40 minutes despite all this leadership. Like, where's the leadership? The other thing is, you you you're paying Matthews, Marner, Tavares over ten million. Those have to be your leaders. 
Like, I, I do like having Spezza there as a leader for under a million. Don't get me wrong. Bogosian was great this year. But th- the fact that you have all these guys making all this money, Tavares has been a captain elsewhere. You know, I would call Hyman and Riley good leaders as well. Muzzin, Brody. Like, how much do you need? Like, <laughs> I, I, at some point, I just want to target the best players available. It seems like that's what Colorado does when they get, like, Devin Tays and, you know, even at the draft. Go down the list. And it, that's what I want him to get back to as well. So I'm hoping next year we kind of stop with the leadership, grit, experience thing. I know he won the trade deadline from the media perspective. I know, you know, the if you go back and look at his offseason with Bogosian and, and Thornton, I know a lot of the media like that as well, especially Simmons. But I think you got to get back to just you know, getting good players and the grit thing in the playoffs, like Simmons did not, he fought three times this year, one at the opening night, which is when they came back and everyone went crazy. The other two were kind of pointless. One was like a seven, three fight in in a Vancouver game. The other one was that Edler hit redemption. So I don't know what we're doing here. I think the strategy didn't work. I hope he acknowledges that he did work. But at the same time, like he doesn't have a bad contract. Like every contract is movable on on the books. He he's rebuilt the defense with Muzzin Brody. He's got Campbell that he stole from for Los Angeles for under two million next year. He's drafting well. It's not like I want him out the door. I would certainly stick with Dubis a hundred percent. It's just I hope I hope we have an adjustment next year. Yeah, those are my two main beefs with Dubis. Um... I, I don't think he's going to get fired. I don't think he's close to being fired. Um, I think that the people that do think he's going to get fired or he's done a bad job just aren't really paying attention to what's going on kind of beneath the water. He's drafted extremely well. Um, the contracts, as you said, he doesn't have a bad contract. And the other thing is the amount of one-year contracts that they signed in their bottom six, the Leafs could decide tonight that we want to have a completely different looking bottom six next year and a different bottom two defense uh, pairing next year. And they could very easily do that. Not a lot of teams can say that because of how much money and how many years that they've committed to bottom six players. So I'm going to go through the UFAs right now. So Riley Nash is a UFA. Hyman's a UFA. Wayne Simmons, Nick Foligno, Galchenyuk, Spezza, Thornton. Now, for some of them, like Hyman, like that is going to be tough to re-sign, but like they didn't commit any sorry, they didn't commit any term to Simmons. They didn't commit any term to Galchenyuk, not to Thornton. So it's not like they're locked into these guys. If they didn't feel if they feel like it didn't work out, they can walk out. So that's a really big thing. Um, and yeah, I, I think Dubas all in all has done a good job. I think he's the best GM we've had in quite a while. But, I mean, he's not perfect. No GM is. Um, and the one thing I do like about Dubas is he does learn from... He does learn from year to year. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I did like that Galchenyuk trade. It felt like that was the type of trade that, you know, that stereotypical Kyle Dubas that was supposed to come in would make. So I don't think he's, you know, so far gone into that grit leadership. I, I do still think he knows his capabilities and isn't completely changed. But, uh, you know, it's a big offseason for him here. But I do want to move on to Sheldon Keefe because I think with Keefe, it is a bit more tricky than Kyle Dubas' situation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now. I'll let you take the floor here. What are your overall thoughts on Keefe? Let's say with the playoffs. I think people know how we feel about him during this the regular season um, since we did record quite a bit. Um, but I'll let you take the floor here for Keefe in the playoffs. Okay, so I'm leaning towards he's coming back. I would be a little bit surprised if they moved on. But I do think that at this point, Dubas has to at least think about it. I don't know if it's a no-brainer. I think you have to at least consider it. The regular season success, I don't necessarily care all that much. I know he's got he's probably got all the least records for best record. But he's got such a good team. And come playoffs, he's, he's had two playoff series now. And I think he's had his struggles in, in both. Now, he's not... You know, you look at Montreal's bench and how they scratched Caulfield in the first couple of games. I don't think he did anything maybe that bad, but last year was definitely frustrating when, you know, when he decides to stack Tavares, Matthews, Marner in the last game. He's got Nylander at center for the first time all year in a sudden death game. You know, we, we kind of, you know, we've beaten that to death at this point, but this, you know, it didn't happen this year. So, you know, maybe he did learn from it, but. This year, there were certainly some some question marks. I, I come back to that game one lineup where he kind of pigeonholes Thornton, Spezza, and Simmons. You know, they didn't play together all year. Spezza wasn't a center all year for, for good reason. And I, I just, it felt like he should have, I know he said this a thousand times, it felt like he should have scratched one of Thornton or Simmons. They really didn't have enough speed or transition skill in that fourth line. And then that, that nash Makayev line just had no offense either. So I, I, I didn't like his game one lineup. I felt Galchenyuk and Engvall deserved to play. I think, you know, game one, he, he should have had a better lineup, plain and simple. The other thing was Thornton on the power play. I have no, there's really no excuse for, for going with him on the top unit for that long, especially the, given the way Nylander was playing in that series. So there's, there's definitely some question marks there. Um, you know, it's tough on the power play to say how much to blame Keith versus Mel Holtra. Um, that is, that is going to be a bit of a, a challenge, but I did think the Thornton thing was a bit ridiculous. Uh, I did think his lineups got better as the, as the series went on. Um, I thought he did pretty well, like to scratch Riley Nash once, once Tavares was out, I thought that was a good decision. So I think he's a, I think he, I still believe in him. Like I still, I still think he's a decent coach. I, I, I'm not like calling for his for him to be fired or anything, but I do think that given the struggles in back-to-back playoffs, Dubis will at least consider it, especially when someone like Bruce Bruce Boudreaux's out there sitting at home. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna lean towards Keith returning. I'm definitely okay with that decision if it happens, um, but I do think I do hope there's I guess some lessons learned from this series. I think there'll be some lessons learned. I don't see him getting fired at all. Um, yeah. Maybe he considers it for. I don't even think he'll consider it. I think it's his full, first full season with the Leafs. Um, obviously, Dubas and Keefe have a huge track record of uh, in junior with the Marlies, and they've been pretty good together. Um, so I do think that they're going to get a real offseason together here um, to kind of go back at it. I don't think it's even going to be considered, actually, now that I think about it. But Keefe definitely, to me, deserves more criticism if we're ranking in terms of management. Getting into the playoffs, we were going to learn how much Keith really valued Thornton and Simmons in the lineup. And he had one particular quote that really struck me. And he said, because 
I think you and I, and a lot of people know that Dubas and Keefe do recognize who produces on the ice. They know about things like Corsi. They know about things like driving play at five on five, things that Simmons just weren't really good at. Um, and Thornton, especially at the end of the season. So Keefe said that when those two players are on the ice, they make our better, or when they're dressed, they make our best players better. And when he said that, to me it was, okay, that's what you're banking on here. You're banking on those players being in the lineup and that it makes Matthews better, Marner better, Nylander better, and Tavares better. So in hindsight, I just think that quote looks pretty silly now because that didn't bring out the best in Matthews when it mattered. It didn't bring out the best in Marner when it mattered. So I think he's kind of, it just looks completely ridiculous to even say that because you had guys like Pierre Engvall, guys like Alec Galchenyuk that you didn't play because you were banking on those two players to make your best players better, which they weren't. So I do hope that there's lessons learned here. I did think, I did have some deja vu of, you know, Babcock playing Marlowe in important games and important situations. Um which wasn't a great feeling, obviously, especially after how much we complained about Babcock doing it and then you get Sheldon Keefe and he's doing the same things. So that is one thing that I was concerned with. The power play I thought was just ridiculous in that game six and seven. I don't know how you have Thornton there after it's not working. Again, I'm not sure how much that falls on Mahotra versus Keefe, but I will say this. I, I don't think that Marner was that great on the power play either I thought that he was part of the problem as well so I don't know if it's a personal thing on the power play like was Babcock better a better power play coach than Sheldon Keefe like I don't know maybe but I think we we saw in that last year with McFarlane as the the power play coach like that power play went completely stale at times during that season as well so I don't know I think with the power play it's one of those things it's so difficult to say um I do think Keefe's going to come back next year, but I definitely hope that they learn a lot from this season because I thought that Keefe also went away from what, you know, kind of got him to the dance as well. Yeah, I guess I, I'm pretty confident Keefe's coming back. I'd be a little bit, I'd be quite surprised if he, if they fired him. Although I do like Boudreaux just for obvious reasons, like everyone does. Um, but I, I guess I'm saying if, if Keefe makes some big mistakes in next year's playoffs, I could see him being gone. So I, I do think, you know, it might be strike two. And, and you know, if we have some big mistakes and, and they don't get out of the first round next year, I do think that's it, um, despite the relationship. So it'll be interesting. I think with Keith, as you said, like the, the big one for me, and I like that quote, like they make our best players better because they didn't. And the other thing with Simmons <laughs> is, the other things with Simmons specifically that I hope people learn from is the whole thing like grit that he's going to, you know, score all these garbage goals come playoff time. Didn't score a playoff goal. Just, he's a complete liability in transition. He, one of the worst passers I've seen. Um, you know, he, he's, he does his role. Like, he's, he, he could finish his check. But, like, I, I do think the name recognition of what he used to be when he was a 30-goal scorer, people still kind of think he's he resembles that or something. But... It, it, without the name on the jersey, if you were watching him, like he, he's kind of similar to a Matt Martin uh, at this stage of his career, and there's not really not much offense there. So I just think like with Simmons and Thornton, when you already have 
Like, I think Makayev Engvall, they don't bring much to the table offensively, but they're just good defensive forwards. I don't think Simmons is really a good defensive forward. Like, he doesn't bring pe- value on the, on the penalty kill. Um, and just the overplaying of Thornton. Like, if he was a fourth liner, that's it, and didn't play on the power play, I, I think we might have a better, you know, appreciation for him. But, man, it was frustrating watching him on the on the power play. So I do think that you made a good point that, you know, Keith deserves a decent amount of the blame here. Um, I guess the thing I'll say with Keith is, like, I think because of his age, he's a younger coach, and just maybe because of his association with the Greyhounds and the Marlies and Dubas, you know, people think he's he's just like a, a young, innovative, smart head coach. And, and, you know, I think a lot of that's fair. But if Mike Babcock had made some of these decisions, if Mike Babcock had put Joe Thornton on the top power play unit that much um, and kept playing Thornton and Simmons when, when they were struggling, we would hear it. So I think it's just important to be consistent between, you know, if we're going to criticize Babcock for doing that, that we should criticize Keith for the same thing. So... I, I again, I, I I'm okay with Keith overall. I think he'll be back next year, but I think it's just important for us to be consistent, and I, I think we're doing an okay job at that. I think so, and I also want to say, like, I can only speak for myself. Like, I I I think you are on the same page here too, Kevin. I am. I've been really happy with Keith and 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 Dubis. I think they are the the most promising tandem of GM coach that we've had in a very long time. Um. So, but I do think that, you know, I guess as a podcast, we have to be fair uh, and criticize everyone fairly. Um, I do think he's going to come back. And, and if I was in Dubis's spot, like I would bring Sheldon Keefe back as well. I, I wouldn't consider firing him, firing him because I think, I think he's had a fine season, just some questionable decisions that, you know, can be ironed out in the future. Um, but, you know, I want to get into players now. You ready? Let's the do it. That's, I was trying to segue there, and it's so funny because we didn't plan this episode at all. We wanted it to just be raw emotion, and I think uh, I think we're getting a, a good one out here. So let's get into the players. Okay, I want to start with let's start simple, okay, and then we'll get more complex. So let's start just with goaltending. For me, it's gonna be you know it, Campbell's the one A. I think they're gonna try to get a a one B. So my guess would be, yeah, my guess would be like someone who can take the starters role, but maybe isn't, uh, you know, they're not going to spend, I don't think, I don't see them spending 7 million on a goalie, but I could see them in like the, the three to 4 million range, whether it's a trade, like an anti-ranta, for example, um, someone like that. I think the market's going to dictate it, uh, who's available, how much they're, how much, you know, I do think they want to save some money there so they could spend elsewhere. We kind of. We're kind of aligned. I think so. If I haven't done enough research on individual goalies, so if I had to do a prediction, my heart wants to say James Reimer, UFA. <laughs> so that it'll could, be, be the nicest it. tandem ever. Reimer and Campbell, their their post game interviews would they be uh, be a, a dangerous <laughs> duo. Two tough customers right there. <laughs> okay, you can, you convinced me there. Um, that would be the nicest duo ever. Yeah, yeah. I could see. I'm just. Reimer had a bit of a down year, I guess. I think they'll go a little better than Reimer. Like I think it might be like a Ranta, but I think so I think too. we're we kind of have the same idea there. In terms of defense, I think we're both expecting Brody Muzzin back because they both had great years. 
I think Justin Hall, depending on what they do in the expansion draft, like if they make some trades before the expansion draft, I guess there's a chance they lose Hall to the expansion draft, but I do expect him back on, on his salary. Um, Dermot, same thing. Like he'll be back, I think. I just don't, he doesn't have a ton of trade value. So unless he's in the expansion draft, I think he'll be back. Sandine, I like. Um, I want to get your opinion on two guys. Let's start smaller. Zach Bogosian had a solid year. If he wanted to come back for the same amount, that probably keeps Lilligren to start the year with the Marlies. Are you okay with that? Would you, would, if, if Bogosian wants the same contract, would you take him back? I'd say so. I think with Bogosian, it's going to be one of those situations where um, a lot of chips are falling before free agency hits. Um, so I think it'll be one of those things where, let's say if Hall gets gets claimed or, sorry, you know, the, the crack and take him, then, you know, then Bogosian all of a sudden, they need a right shot defenseman. They're not completely comfortable with bringing Lilligren in right away. Then, yeah, I'd be completely fine with one million, bring Bogosian back, give him another year. Um, and kind of have a similar role to what he had this year. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think he was good enough to bring back. Lilligren, I do like his future, but you know, if you could keep him on the Marlies for another year because he's not waivers eligible, that just helps your depth. I know people will lose their minds and write Lilligren off if he's on the Marlies next year, but uh, I do think that might be best for the team. And then if, if Lilligren's playing amazing, you can always call him up. You're going to need more than six defensemen, I think, as we learn every year. Um, the other guy is, is Morgan Riley. He was great in the playoffs. We've talked about him in the past, I know, with Ian as well. For me, it's he's got one year left. The next contract's going to be expensive. I think the Leafs need to kind of make a decision a year in advance here where are they going to pay Riley you know, $7 million a year to stay? To me, it's, it's probably no, although he is a pretty good player, um, even despite his good playoffs as well. Um, for me, I think they they have to at least consider trading him, at least seeing what the market is, listening to offers, uh, if they aren't going to bring him back. They're good enough to make him a self-rental if they, if they want to, but I still think, despite his strong playoffs, that they'll, they should at least listen to offers. I would definitely be listening to offers. I'm actually lower on his playoff series than it seems like the whole fan base. I thought Riley played well when the Leafs were losing. Um, when he was able to jump up, he was... It was kind of his forte whenever he's able to jump up into the rush, participate in offensive plays. Um, you know, us as fans almost expect, we want to see some, some, someone taking initiative in, in trying to score and, you know, trying to be offensive. And Riley does that when the Leafs are losing. Um, when the Leafs were in the lead, I really didn't like Riley's play. I didn't like his play on the Suzuki goal. Um, I don't think that he elevated his game. I thought he was the exact same Riley that we've seen all year where, He's very good offensively and not very good defensively. And I don't see him, you know, getting any better as he gets closer to 30. I don't see that contract being under 5 mil. I see it north of 6 mil. And I don't see it being a, a short-term contract. I think someone's going to have to really uh, pay him and, and over a long term to, to get his services. So for that reason, I would definitely be listening some for some trades. And this yeah. is something we've been saying for the past calendar year. Yeah, so I'm a little bit higher on his playoff performance than you, but I think we're still in agreement overall. It's not. Um, I think you look at the Tory Crew contract; you might get something like that, um, and and you do think like you could get a very good return for him. Um, so I guess when I look at this defense, you know, Sandine's coming in. 
if they do trade Riley, maybe we see a, a, a trade for another defenseman or we see a signing to kind of, you know, help bridge that gap a bit because um, he would have some extra money to spend there. Or maybe he's traded for a defenseman. But, I, 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 like, other than that, I don't really see much happening here. I'm pretty happy with the defense overall. I know we mentioned at the start of the, the podcast that we didn't really think the defense was the problem, why they lost. Um, for me, they're definitely not going, they sh- definitely shouldn't go after a Seth Jones. I think the right side's pretty strong now. I, I just think Jones is overrated. You're going to have to pay him a ton. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's likely going to be small moves there if they keep Riley. And then maybe if they move Riley, they'll, they'll kind of make another move to kind of fill that gap a little bit. But, uh, I'm pretty happy with this defense overall heading into next year. Yeah, let's move on from Riley. I think his the possibility of him getting traded has gone down since the end of this playoffs because of the other issues this team might have. Yeah, yeah. And in terms like, of forwards, like I don't think you can go. I don't think you can go. Actually, I'll, I'll save the Marner stuff because I, I think we're going to transition to that now. <laughs> uh, okay, I want to jump into the smaller ones because Marner's going to take forever. So just, <laughs> I have a couple questions on the small ones. Okay, a would you bring Galchenyuk back for a million bucks? I'd say yes. I, I really liked his play. Um, and and he's closer to what I want the Leafs to look like next year. Um, and I think he's shown enough growth in a very short period of time under this development staff that I think it'd be interesting to see what he comes back with uh, next training camp. Yep. We're in a complete agreement on Galchenyuk. I think we both like him despite that awful overtime giveaway. Um, yeah. just the offensive potential, the work ethic, I, I was a big fan of him. So I, I try to bring him back. I think you, you can get good value there. Uh, Spets is a no brainer. Uh, Pierre Engvall, I really like, I'd, I'd bring him back. I know he makes like 1.25. If you needed 500,000 and you're desperate for cap space, maybe he moves, but you know, if he's not taken in the expansion draft, I'd, I'd definitely bring him back. You're, you're an Engvall fan too. Oh, definitely. He's under contract next year. Anyway, I don't see them trading him. I would maybe I'd be okay. Like I wouldn't lose my mind if they brought back one of Thornton or Simmons, um, not both. I just don't think there's enough transition skill there. I think Thornton's probably retiring. I would think. I don't know. Um, I I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to pay Simmons the one point five. Um, for me, it's a league min or nothing. I, I'd let him walk. Or we're, we're still on the same page. I can see. I could see them re-signing both even. Um, I just don't put it. I just don't put it past them. Um, but I would not bring back Simmons or Thornton. I think you just okay. need. I think you just need a completely looking. You just need a better fourth line next year. Yeah, I don't think Felino's worth paying for either. He's gonna get I don't know four or five million, um, and I think he's probably going back to Columbus. So um, I okay. So I guess the other guy, Makayev at at one point six four. I. I'd consider moving if he needed the cap space. If he's back, fine. He's an okay penalty killer. I think he's more of a fourth liner in terms of offense. Um, Riley Nash, maybe, if he's making less than a million, sure. Uh, Kerfoot, I'm kind of in between on. I think he had a good playoffs, 3.5 for two years. I think it kind of depends on what you're doing elsewhere. Obviously, if you trade Marner, you, you have a lot more cap space. Maybe 3.5 is okay. If you're going to keep the big four together, maybe you trade Kerfoot and, and, and try to find another center there. But if Kerfoot goes, I think you have to get another third-line center. Is that is that fair? 
let me catch up here. So with Makayev, I would bring him back. I think I'm kind of in agreement with you there. Um, if they get something that makes sense or if they need the cap space, that's fine. Yep. Riley Nash, I would not bring back. I, I just... We didn't really see him, though. The problem with Nash is I think he was good for this playoff run where you have another center that can take defensive zone face-offs, can take play top competition. I like that trade for this year. Next year, and I guess we're transitioning into the kind of the better players, so I will say this about the bottom six. I felt that this year a lot of the bottom six players were good at one thing but not good at the other thing. And I just want to see a much better, well-rounded bottom six next year. I'll kind of go into it here. Like, Galchenyuk is... He was a hard worker, but he's still not very good defensively. Mm-hmm. But he's good offensively. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev. Good defensively. He's a good penalty killer. Not a very good finisher. He doesn't produce very much offense. Correct. Uh, we can keep going here. Riley Nash, one of the worst offensive players over the past couple of years. Very good defensively. I just feel like... And I, I'd say Engvall is a lot better defensively can produce a bit of offense, but, you know, I, I, I just want to see a lot more two-way players for next year's bottom six. So as a result, like I let Riley Nash uh, walk regardless of what contract he wants. Yeah, I feel like we want, like, a Trevor Moore type or something in there. So there, there'll be guys. Like, I know they tried to get Evan Rodriguez last offseason. I think that would have been a good move. Um and, and again, what they do with the bigger players probably dictates how much money they have to spend in the bottom six. But let's get into the bigger players here. For me, obviously, Matthews Tavares aren't going anywhere. Nylander, yeah. I, th- I can't see them trading Nylander after this playoff run. He was too good. And at 6.9, even during the season, it just looks like a steal. Um, he was their he best was player. So, even without the goals, he was one of their best players. Yeah. Like even if you ignore all the goals, he was fantastic. He was winning battles. He was engaging physically, which I, I think would uh, brought a smile to a lot of Leafs fans' faces. And you know the the goals were just he was fantastic. He was their best player easily. Yeah, and I don't think his trade value is like way above his his actual value or something. Like he's not overrated. He's he's good. So I I don't think you trade him. Marner's the next one I want to get into. He's taking a lot of the criticism. I think a lot of it's warranted. I will say, like, he did create the best Leafs scoring chance in Game 7. I don't know if he was as bad as people think, just because, you know, people are really ripping him apart. I do think he cares. I do like his defensive game. I did love him on the penalty kill. To me, it comes down to contract. It has to come down to contract. Like, if he made $8 million, or if he made what Nylander made, 6.9. I'm I'm 100% keeping him despite the playoff struggles. I think, you know, sometimes you don't want to overreact to to seven game sample. But for 10.9 million cap hit to to like you're expecting a star at at that price, right? Like it, it just doesn't feel like he's, you know, for that price I'm looking at like a I don't want to say McKinnon or or McDavid, but like you feel like Drysidle or, or even one of those players, you know, with some sort of shooting talent would bring more to the table. And set like ten point nine is a lot, especially with his contract structure. I mentioned earlier on in the episode where he's only owed six point two million a season after they pay the bonus and actual cash, four years. 
Now, I don't want to trade him for the sake of trading him. I think it's such a big move that you have to win the deal. But he is a player that's, I don't want to say overvalued, but I do think he would he would command a haul in a trade, especially given his contract structure, to a team like Ottawa, Buffalo, Arizona, Anaheim, Columbus, a team that you know doesn't spend to the cap anyways, it doesn't care about his cap hit. I think you have to at least consider it. Now, you have to be very careful because we don't want, you know, Marner for, we don't want this to be, you know, what the Sabres did with Ryan O'Reilly where they trade him for for nothing. But I do think you have to at least take calls. I am very in the middle for trading Marner right now. I don't think he was good. I don't think he was good this series. I don't think he was good in the Columbus. And... Even when it comes to goal scoring, Kevin, he's in 2017-2018, he had 22 goals. 2018-2019, he had 26 goals. And then the past two seasons, he's been on track for about 25 to 30 goals if it was an 82-game season, 82 game season. So he can definitely score. But the problem, he's just an elite playmaker, which kind of takes away from his goal scoring abilities when, when you know we kind of look at him as a player. He hasn't scored a goal in 12 games, in 12 playoff games, and he has eight points then. He hasn't been able to elevate his game, and in this play, in this playoff series, like he didn't even play at the level he played in the regular season. And to me, when you look at that cap hit, that's where there's a huge issue. I think he is a star in this league, but at, what is it, 10.9 mil? You expect a player that can make a difference when things get hard, and he has not been able to do that. And for that reason, I think you definitely take calls. Now, again, like you said, you need to be careful because not only Ryan O'Reilly, but the Taylor Hall trade, the first one with Larson, that was a mistake. (laughs) We've seen Mark Stone get traded. We've seen a lot of top-end, high-end forwards get traded, and very rarely does the team that trades that high-end star win the trade. Um, I'm trying to even think of an example where they do win the trade. Um, It very rarely happens. Maybe the Phil Kessel one where they, where, you know, obviously it happened to the Leafs. uh, No, they didn't. (laughs) uh, But they got Phil, like, I think Pittsburgh got tons for Kessel there, right? Like they won the two cups, was it? Sorry, not not that one. The the Boston one. Boston trading us Phil Kessel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, uh, we took the L there. But um, I think with Marner, I think you made a lot of good points there. Um, So I was looking at it. So his playoff stats career, 25 points in 32 games. That's about a 64-point pace. That's pretty good considering I know his shooting percentage is pretty low. I think, you know, he has had bad shooting luck. I think, you know, he probably deserved an extra goal or two, whether it's this series or or the previous series. I do think he's getting, you know, more than his fair share of the blame, if I would say, like, but I, 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 to me, it just keeps coming back to that contract, the 10.9. And, and I, to be fair, I said this prior to the playoff series. I think I said this last offseason where you look at the contract structure and you go, okay, just how the contract's structured is he's more valuable to a non-cap team than a cap team. And you think about how the Leafs could spend $10.9 million, Like You could get any free agent for that price, any free agent for $11 million. And... Then you think about, like, okay, let's say this. Let's say they trade him for futures, right? Prospects. I don't know. 
let's say Anaheim, who's not really a cap team, if you could get a Trevor Zagris or a Jamie Drysdale, some sort of package of, of young talent, then you go and you spend that $10.9 million on, you know, I think Taylor Hall staying in Boston, but he'd be an example. Or it's, it's a weak for agent core, but I don't know, maybe a Dougie Hamilton or a Gabriel Landeskog. Who knows? Like, there's a lot you could do. I think you have a lot of flexibility there. There's a lot of deals I could see working. The other one's obviously Jack Eichel, who if he's if he's getting traded, I think Marner might be the best player offered for him. I know his health is is in jeopardy, but or not in jeopardy, but his health is a question mark right now. Um, I think he's going to need, you know, he might need surgery down the, down the road. But to me, there's just so much potential with a Marner trade, whether it's a big move like Eichel or whether it's, you know, you have, you get a ton of young talent and then have 11 million to kind of spend in free agency. So I, I do think when you look at the roster and if you spend the money elsewhere, like if you get an $8 million forward and then you have an extra 3 million to spend, it makes a huge difference. Like, Let's say they go out and they sign, I don't know, let's say it's Taylor Hall, for example. They get Taylor Hall for like $7, seven million. And then they have an extra four, almost $4 million to, to spend. Let's let's say they trade Kerfoot's 3.5, add that $4 million there. You got another $7.5 million player. Like, it, it's it's a big price to pay. And he, he kind of did it to himself. Um, I don't think he was worth that contract at the time. I think the regular season was great. But... Even last year's regular season was great, but man, like at ten point nine, you got to be a star, and you got to be a star when the when it gets hard, and that's my biggest beef with Barner. It's I do feel for him because it did seem like he was in his head, but like you said, like for ten point nine, you can't. There's there's just no way that that's even acceptable. Um, you know, as you broke that down there, like. Like, if they got Trevor Zegers and some players that could help him now and use that cap, I mean, I don't know how you can't, you know, at least consider that. Um, one thing that I do, I, I look at the Kapanen deal, for example, and if, now they didn't get anyone that helps them right now, but they did use that money pretty much to sign TJ Brody. They got Rodion Amirov there through that 15th overall pick. Good point, good point. They got, they got Philip Hallander. So... I do think this type of a trade, like Dubis can win, but then there's always the, the there's always the Kadri trade that you could say that they didn't get enough value for him there, um, which I do think that was a bit of a knee jerk reaction due to the the suspensions, which in hindsight maybe doesn't look as bad as it once did with how Kerfoot's played and how Kadri has not played, um, but I do look at that Capitan deal as something that I do think. Dubis could potentially, you know, I do think that he can win a trade like this. Um, and we've definitely seen him trade players like Janssen, trade players like Kapanen, and use that money productively. And that's kind of something that Leafs fans can look forward to this offseason if they go that road. There is a chance, uh, Kevin, here that they don't go that route. And there is a chance that and it's it's not even like it's a small chance. I would say maybe it's a, a 60-40 chance. 60 being that Marner gets brought back next year. How do you feel if, let's say they bring back Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, and let's say they keep Riley. 
They don't extend him, but they just bring him back. How would you feel about that decision, like, as an organization? I'd be okay with it. I think Marner's a very good player. Like, Marner certainly has the potential to lead the playoffs in scoring one year. Like, if you told me, if you were going to tell me right now that the Leafs are going to be in the Cup Final next year, and you said, would you believe if Marner led the team in points? I would say absolutely. Like, he, I think he led the team in points this season. So he, he certainly has the potential. Uh, he could win the Conn Smythe. He, he, he 100% has that potential. But it is tricky because he's a, he's a very good player on a very big contract. And if I looked at, like, let's say Nashville, for example, and they got Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne. I think those are both two pretty good players, but they both make $8 million. And, you know, they're not $8 million players. And at least they're not playing like it this year. So I think, you know, if you're Nashville and you're, you're thinking, okay, if I could trade these guys for a, a, a good amount and then have $8 million to spend, it could make sense. I think it's kind of the same situation. I liked your Capitan reference there, Nick, where, you know, they get a, a very good young asset who has the 15th overall pick for Kasperi Capitan and then have that $3.5 million to spend. And, and really, that was a big reason why they got TJ Brody. So I do think it is similar. I think that was a good point. But if they do come back with the core, I'm okay with it. I think I, I like this team for the most part this year. Like, with with a few tweaks up front, they probably win the series. If Carey Price wasn't amazing, they probably win the series. If John Tavares didn't get hurt game one, I think they win the series. They A lot went wrong. If their power play was half decent, I think they win the series. So I, I think they're close. Like, I think just a few, t- like, let's say they tweak the power play. They fix that. They, you know, get, they sign some good depth forwards. You know, maybe they, you know, they sign a, a nice 1B goalie to play with Campbell. I think this team could be successful. I still do. I don't think there's, like, a fundamental problem with the core. To me, there's just opportunity with Marner, given that contract structure, as we mentioned. And, you know, given the fact that he is slightly overpaid. Um, at least when I, how I see it. So I'm okay with it. I think I agree with your percentage too. I would say about 60-40. I would lean towards Marner staying. Um, I know everyone thinks right now that, you know, he's a goner, but I, I pretty much with any NHL player under contract other than Kuznetsov, I would say I lean towards them staying just because we kind of learn in the past that, you know, just because we hear a trade rumor doesn't mean that it's going to happen. So the worst case scenario that could happen with Marner, and it's not even like it's it's a low chance of happening, like there's a, a because they could trade Marner, and it could have a similar ripple effect in terms of the Kadri trade, where they don't get as much value as they should have from Marner, mm-hmm. and you now have a situation where you've lost a player that plays in all situations for you, that led your team in points, that is now. We're going to get into the intangibles portion. Seems like a very, very, very popular guy in the locker room. He's best friends with your cornerstone of the franchise, who has three years left on his contract before he's a UFA. The same guy, who's this is Austin Matthews, who signed a five-year deal instead of going with something longer. And we know that he has very strong ties with, with Arizona. I think the worst case scenario is that you trade Marner, you don't get the, the value that you needed. You don't use the cap space like you should have. And you now have a ticking kind of time bomb where Matthews is about to leave your team in three years. And you have three years where your team is not as good because you just traded Marner and didn't get the value. 
I think yeah. that's the big risk in trading him. Um, and if you keep him, I mean, I look at a player like like there's been other stars that have had the same draft pedigree as Marner that have struggled in the playoffs at times. Like I look at Nick Backstrom, for example, and he started out his um, career. He was drafted fourth overall, and he was pretty much a point-per-game player for his first three seasons in the playoffs. Then 2010-2011, he, he played nine playoff games, two assists, zero goals. After that, he had eight points in 13 games. The season after that, he had three points in seven playoff games. Season after that, he had eight points in 14 playoff games. Then he kind of explodes with a couple more point per games. Then he's over a point per game when they won the cup. So it's one of those tricky situations where these are short samples. Hopefully this is just a, a kind of bump in Marner's, you know, playoff production and he figures it out. But, you know, I, you know, it, it's such a tricky situation. I feel like you and I, Kevin, are having different energies as this podcast goes on. Um, but this is the most unpredictable offseason we're about to go into. Like anything could happen in my perspective. Yeah, I think you made some good points there. Um, 100%. Trading Marner could be a disaster, 100%. Like, this guy had over 90, he had 94 points his last full season, and I think he was about 100-point pace this season. And it, it, it could be a fireable offense for Dubas. Like, if Dubas trades Marner and gets nothing, like, if he just has a horrible trade, it's such a big trade that it could cost him. Um as I'm talking about it, I, I think it's less and less likely he gets traded. I would maybe say 30%, which is still pretty high. Um, but, man, like, there's opportunity. There's, it's, it's high risk, high reward with that with a trade that big. Like, if you're going to get a Jack Eichel, obviously you could trade for the next MVP, right? Like, that's that's the kind of player Eichel could be. But at the same time, if you trade Marner for, I don't know, like some sort of package of futures um, and maybe a young player that doesn't turn out. I was on cap friendly and I saw Marner for Connor Garland and Darcy Kepper. That's it. I love Garland, but yeah, that's, that's I, low. That's, I love Garland too, but I think that the contract they signed Garland on, on cap friendly was like, it was like five mil and then Darcy Kepper was 4.5. So they only had like 2.5 left. <laughs> like that was there. Yeah, I know Kemper's. Kemper doesn't have much term left. Um, he has one year left after yeah after this off season. Yeah, so I it, I could see the Marner trade going either way, and that's why I'd be cautious. I think Kadri, you know, up until this playoffs where he got suspended again, um, I think you look at that and you say, okay, you kind of overreacted to his playoff performance, and you didn't you you trade him for a overvalued right chain defenseman. And some people want to trade Marner for Seth Jones, and it's like, listen, they don't really need right defense. They need scoring. It's been back-to-back playoff series that scoring's been an issue. If they trade Marner, that's a lot of scoring. I know the playoff scoring, maybe not, but just overall scoring talent, I think you take a huge step down. If they trade him, I want forwards. I want at least, you know, two forwards to replace him. One, you know, a young player with tons of upside, and then, you know, hopefully you should have money left over 
to go out and get someone else. It's kind of funny when you do the the Marner for Eichel trade, you trade for Jack Eichel and somehow save cap space. It's just a little bit a little bit strange. Insane. <laughs> Insane. Um let's get a let's get a decision from you and I. If you are Kyle Dubis, Dubis Kevin, Kyle Dubis, um, do you trade Mitch Marner this offseason? Let's say you don't get a deal for Jack Eichel. That's off the table. Um, we won't get into, you know, what offer you do get, but let's say you get one that it, it, you don't really get blown out of the water. No, would I you trade him? You're not under any pressure to. Like I would I'm I'm perfectly fine with bringing him back. I think there's a, a like Riley, I think there's a good chance you could win a trade. Uh but like Riley, you could you could bring him back no problems. Uh, so I I'm I'm torn. Like I would certainly take calls. I guess that's where I stand on it. I would I would 100% take calls. I think we're in agreement there. Um, I would need to get blown out of the water by a deal um, to to trade Marner. Like if you asked me this last night, and I know if I asked you this after game six when you were writing that article, our answers might be different. But um, I think when all the dust settles, I would have to be pretty pretty impressed with what the offer is to trade him. Yeah, 100%. So... I think we got to the to the bottom of, of a lot of this, where the blame lies, what we think the next steps will be. I think we're going to have to do an off-season preview uh, pretty soon, Nick, and uh, maybe we'll get a guest on for that. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see everybody soon.